That was something that she learned and took from her car passion to help others. In a way, I'm happy because my podcast is about my motto, inspiring automotive enthusiasts is trademarked, is about inspiring people that they can find a way to have a career and a life wrapped around their passion for cars. That was Mark Green, the producer and host of the podcast Cars Yeah. Cars Yeah is recognized by the DuPont Registry as one of the top car podcasts in the world. And no one may be more qualified to discuss today's topic, car enthusiasts, than Mark. This is Fuel for the Future, presented by State Farm Insurance and driven by America's Automotive Trust. Learn more by visiting americasautomotivetrust.org. I'm Michael May. Mark, welcome to Fuel for the Future. How are you? Hey, buddy. I am doing great, and I'm honored to be here. Thanks for uh, reciprocating and flipping the mic on me. Uh, it was really <laughs> yes. great to have you on Cars Yeah, and now you get to ask me the questions. That's right. I, I was honored, honored to be on your show. I've known your show for a long time. You've recorded 2,000-something episodes? 500. Yeah, just went over that mark a couple weeks ago, actually. When you add the, I was doing a, another show for Sports Car Market Magazine. So when mm-hmm. you add those 29 shows to my, let's see, tomorrow's shows, 2,481, 82, 83. It's, it, it's a white line blur. <laughs> yeah, cars, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I worked on some TV shows, but I think by episode six, I was already forgetting what we had done on episode one. So I can't imagine the the amount of interviews and episodes you've done on your show and trying if someone references one from years ago that can't be easy to always remember well i'll tell you a quick story i was on an airplane and i sat down next to a couple i was going to car week pebble beach and Mm -hmm. i started speaking and the guy said hey are you mark green from cars yeah and i said yes i am are you a listener he goes yes i recognize your voice and his (laughs) wife looks over at me and she goes i'm sick of your voice and I said, why is that? And she goes, because he listens in the shower and he has it turned on really loud. So I hear you every morning at 630 in the morning. And I said, well, I'm sorry. And we had a joke about it. Yeah. And so he said, hey, can I ask you, have you ever had Chris so-and-so on your show? Mm. And I'm like, oh, gosh, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. Let me check. And she said, you don't know? And I said, well, I've interviewed over two th- at that time 2,000 people. I, it's hard to remember everybody. Yeah. And so I pulled up my phone and I typed in Chris to my contacts and I started scrolling and I kept scrolling. And <laughs> she said, how many Chris's do you know? And I went, well, looks like there's 87 on here. Wow. She said, how many people in your contacts? And I hadn't looked in a while and I went back and I said, 7,180. Whoa. And she went, oh my gosh. So Michael, that kind of tells you, yeah, uh, it's, I've been so fortunate to talk to so many people from almost every country in the world. It's really, really fun. Well, it's it's a great show. I've known about it for a long time. Thank and we'll, you. We'll dive into that a little bit. I actually wanted to steal a question from your show to start us okay. off here. All right. Which is, what's one thing people may not know about you? Oh, you're going to ask that one. <laughs> That's a tough one because I I try to make my show about my guests, but I do interject mm. and talk about things when they spur thoughts and so forth. Let's see. Well, I uh, used to have long hair down to my shoulders. Got no hair now. Growing up in Southern California, and I was a surfer. So started surfing when I was in elementary school, surfed all the way through college. And so sometimes people, they look at me and they think of, you know, here's this conservative Mark guy quit the cars and he was a long haired surfer kid from Southern California. 
And yeah, so yeah, I grew up a uh, surfer and uh, played the guitar. We had a little band, so played in a band. Nice. Southern California lifestyle. So I guess that kind of fits. It, it does. And that is not something I would have guessed as you as a <laughs> surfer. You uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we've said, you've had over 2000 episodes. You've interviewed celebrities, racers, collectors, just normal people, people that want to get into some sort of automotive field. Mm-hmm. Bozos like me, you, hey, you come on, you've interviewed everybody. <laughs> what I wanted to talk about today, and this is a very loaded subject matter, but okay. I figured you'd be the perfect guest to discuss automotive enthusiasm, uh, car Ooh. enthusiasts in general, because yes. you've talked to every variety of the sort. So mm-hmm. before we kind of dive into that, because that is so broad, it's hard just to start. But how did you become a car enthusiast? What started your love of the automobile? Well, that's pretty simple. It goes back to, I was about five years old. And my father, who grew up in Texas on a farm, he was one of five kids that left Texas and moved out west. So I was a little kid growing up in Southern California, where there's lots of cars. You know, probably Pampa, Texas, there aren't that many cars. They're all trucks and Mm -hmm. little tiny town. But uh, Southern California, I grew up in La Jolla, California, where there's lots of nice cars, fairly affluent place. And my dad bought a 1949 MGTC. Mm -hmm. He always wanted a sports car of some kind. And so that's what he started with. Couldn't have picked anything more challenging, right? Uh, So (laughs) he had to crank that thing to start it sometimes. (laughs) But here's why it stood out to me is because it was so little compared to cars in the early 60s. Now it was five. So this was 63, I think, something like that. And it was this little, tiny, unique, funny sounding Big giant grill on the front. The dashboard I'll never forget had those beautiful green tinted Jaeger gauges on them that looked like these old antique watches. Yeah. But his dash had been replaced by the Burl Wood, which, by the way, when my father passed away seven years ago, I found the original dash in one of his storage sheds. Oh my goodness. Uh, the original dash from that MG. It was an old Burl wood. Unfortunately, the termites had gotten into it and it had turned into mm. sawdust basically because I thought this would be cool to hang on a wall, but when I picked it up, it dissolved. So they had replaced it with this engine-turned aluminum piece of metal. So you see all these little spirals. And I remember as a little kid, like, how did they make that? All those little circles, you know. And the car has a cut-down door. So there's a little boy, I could actually put my elbow on the door sill like you do on a car, which I couldn't do in my parents' Oldsmobile. Well, they didn't have a Vista Cruiser then. They had a Pontiac Le Mans, which my dad called a lemon because it was such a bad car. (laughs) Didn't even last year. It it must have been built on a Friday during hunting season. And so I could put my arm, and also the car was right-hand drive. So I could sit on the left side like I was the driver, and he had a spare steering wheel, and he would hand it to me, and I would pretend like I was oh, driving. Oh, so fun. Yeah. So we'd pull up next to people, and they'd look down and go, why is that little kid driving that car? And then why does that car have two steering wheels? And we'd laugh, and you know, it was kind of fun. So that has to be when the needle went into the arm, and the motor oil, and the smell, and the leather, and mm-hmm. when my mom would ride in the car, my sister and I would ride on this little seat. It wasn't even a seat. It was behind the driver and the passenger. It was a platform. And our heads were actually almost at their levels. My dad bought these old aviator goggles with leather helmets. Mm -hmm. And there was a bar across the back of the seats. 
And he would say, that's the chicken bar. If you're a chicken, you're going to have to hang on. Now, he'd be arrested for child endangerment today because <laughs> if we'd ever been in an accident, we wouldn't have been ejected down the freeway. Well, not even freeways back then, but yeah, that has to be it because I just, the smells and mm-hmm. I've never had an MG, but I've always had this want to have one. And probably 13 years ago, a guy let me drive his and I have to say my my want went away after Yes, that. yeah. That happens. It's that a happens. pretty rough car, you know. It's just kind of a, you know, but uh, it just, uh, yeah, that was it. The MG49 MGTC. Very nice. And I imagine now that I know you're from Southern California, I always think of Southern California as one of these hotbeds of American car culture. In that era, you would have grown up in the peak of this era. Yes. So yeah. did growing up in Southern California influence your love of cars as well? Big time. I had so many friends in La Jolla whose fathers had very cool sports cars. I remember when, uh, in fact, my daughter, uh, my daughter, my sister ended up marrying this doctor's son, and he bought the first Lamborghini. I think it was the first Lamborghini Mira in La Jolla. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, and it was like this thing looked like something from the moon. And I remember going over to his house and. You know, we were junior high kids at that age and so forth. But there were a lot of very cool cars in town. And I started a detailing business when I was 14. And I used to ride my bicycle around La Jolla with little business cards and put them on the windshields of cool cars, Porsches, Mercedes, Ferraris, because there were a lot of cool cars in that town, people that could had the had the money to have those cars and ended up getting a client base of all these cool cars that I ended up when I got my license would actually ride my bike over and drive those cars to my house and detail them. So I got to drive these things, all sorts of cool cars. I remember my first drive in a Ferrari was a Dino. Now, mm-hmm. aficionados would say that's not a real Ferrari. It's a Dino, yeah, but it's a Ferrari. <laughs> and driving that thing back over Mount Soledad, uphill side drive, down the other side, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a go-kart. You know, it's just yeah. so cool. And one of my clients bought a 1976, a Rolls Royce Corniche convertible. Mm-hmm. And there was a elderly lady who lived at 959 in La Jolla, which is the only big high rise right on the coast. And I drove that car back to my house. My mom came out and freaked out. She's like, oh my gosh, you've got a Rolls Royce. How could you drive that thing? I said, mom, this car costs more than our house. It was like $150,000 car. I put the top down. I made sure I drove by Wind and Sea where all my friends were surfing and waved at them. Of course. So that was the perfect place for a car guy to grow up, for sure. I was going to say, that is the the perfect situation, the perfect business to have at that age as Mm -hmm. a car lover. And and you you made it happen. You're doing the business card routine. That is fantastic. Fascinating. That yeah, is really it was fascinating. Really fun. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite type of car? If you're, if I know you're a car enthusiast in general, but if you had mm-hmm. to like pinpoint a niche or a type, what would that be? Oh yes, Porsche for sure. That oh, goes nice. all the way back. There was a, there was a guy who lived on our street. We we live in a you know a neighborhood with families and you know two kids and a dog and a car. But there was one guy that lived up the end of the street. There was this cool bachelor guy. And he had a 59, I think it was a 58, maybe 57 Porsche Speedster Carrera, Mm -hmm. which back in the day was like, okay, it was just another name. Now, from a collector standpoint, that car is like one of the Holy Grail cars. And when you heard him coming up the street, my mom would always complain how fast he drove. And all those little boy kids would run up there and fawn over the car and he would give us rides. 
I think that's what started it for me with the Porsche Mark. And then okay. if you fast forward, I had a friend in high school whose dad had a 72 911 and he would let my friend drive that car all the time. And then he would let me drive his dad's car. Uh, a couple of times we drove it all the way to Mammoth Mountain. It was like an eight, you know, eight hour drive through the high desert, 395 Mojave Desert in the middle of the night on a Friday, heading up to Mammoth to go skiing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I just said, I'm going to have one of these someday. And I did eventually get a 1972 911S. But a Porsche is my mark. But if you look at a genre of cars, I would say it's European sports cars from the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s, for sure. Well, good for you. I, I will I will approve of that. <laughs> oh, good. <Sure>. Okay. <laughs> I passed that test. Yes, Thank you goodness. passed that test. And right. So let me let me turn, no pun intended, to Cars Yeah here for a second. Yes. Now, how long have you been doing the podcast? I started in May of 2013. Uh, 2014. So it'll okay. be 10 years this May. So what was the impetus? What, what, what made you want to do a podcast about automobiles? <laughs> so I had worked for 11 years in advertising in San Diego. Uh, one of the clients I landed in our advertising firm was a startup company called Grio's Garage, which is a local company here now, but it was in Vista, California. I was living in Del Mar with my wife and the agency I worked at, Warner Design, was in Old Town. So I was a creative director and I also brought clients in Mm -hmm. as a commission type project. And I was mailed the first Griot's Garage catalog. And so I called on them, eventually landed that account, became friends with Richard Griot. It was a startup then. So there was just he and another guy and a secretary and a kid would stop by on his way home from high school and pack the orders for that day. It was direct mail catalog business. Mm-hmm. Long story short, uh, very quickly, Richard Griot asked me, would you come on board and be a partner? I'll give you a part of the business. It didn't have any value at the time, but I went, well, this is an interesting opportunity. But he said, I have to tell you, we're moving to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> now, my daily driver at the time was a 1984 Porsche Carrera Cabriolet. Mm-hmm. The older cabriolets were not weatherproof tops, really. If it rained too much, they started leaking. Right. I, I don't know why Porsche did that. but So I went, <laughs> my first comment was, well, I can't drive a car like that where it rains every day in the Pacific Northwest. That's crazy. Anyway, get past that. It was a great opportunity for me to work in a startup business in the car world. And it was a huge gamble because my wife was working as a civil engineer. I had this great job I'd had for 10 years in advertising. The plan was for me to take over that business from my boss. He was getting ready to retire. So I had this whole future. Our family was in California. And now all of a sudden this opportunity, but you had to move away. We had to leave all of our family. We took a huge gamble. I look back now and I go, holy cow, how brave was that? Because it was- right. You know, I mean, a company that was just starting could have failed, whatever. But long story short, I was there for 20 plus years. But it got to a point where it was time for me to go. What am I going to do? I'm like a 54-year-old guy, and I have no idea what I was going to do. Well, at the same time, we had a trifecta of disasters in our family. My mother-in-law got cancer. My father fell. He was 80. Fell off a deck and broke his neck. Was in a very serious C2 vertebrae break. They call it the Christopher Reeve break. And uh, my wife had a very serious health issue with a tumor in her leg. Uh, She had, when we moved up here, she retired from her job as a civil engineer to raise our kids. So she'd been an at-home mom. Our kids were now, one was through college, the other was in college. And my wife needed to be cared for. I mean, she couldn't walk for months. And I was sitting here going, what the heck am I going to do? We've got a kid in this expensive East Coast 
design school at RISD. We just were licking our wounds from putting our daughter through a private Southern California college. And I'm like this guy that who wants to hire me? You know, the tech industry was booming. And so I asked my son, he came home from college his first year. And I said, what could I do from home mm-hmm. that's in the car world that, you know, is it, that I could take care of your mom? And he said, you should start a podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? I had no idea. <laughs> now, again, this was a little over 10 years ago. Yeah. There weren't many podcasts around. No, no, there weren't. Uh, Adam Carolla had one and, you know, NPR had this click and clack radio show that they were transferring, but you couldn't even figure out how to f- listen to a podcast. So he said, dad, you should listen to a couple podcasters. One was John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneurs on Fire, incredibly successful podcaster. I uh, become friends with him. And so I just called all these people that were podcasters and tried to talk to them like, how do you even do this? And in about three months, I wrote a business plan. I watched YouTubes all night long uh, while my wife would ring the bell saying, I need to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. I need a shower. Could you make dinner? And I figured out how to be a podcaster. Um, I've always been a marketer. I've always been a good designer. So I designed my own website, which I'd never done. Uh, I learned a great appreciation for coders. They live in a different oh, yeah. world. I don't know what that world is, but it's crazy. It's weird. It's kind of like building a carburetor in your living room and then going out to the car to see if what you built worked. This was the <laughs> WordPress days, you know? It's not like oh, the yeah. drag and drop you have today. Yeah. And so in about three months' time, I launched, it was May 28th, which I think was an anniversary of one year since I'd left Grio's Garage. Okay. And I launched this thing and said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. And if I can get at least one sponsor in six months, there's some validity that might make this work. And I think it was four months in, somebody called me and said, could I advertise on your podcast? And I think I literally cried in the driveway when I opened the first check that I got. It didn't even matter how much it was. It was like, okay, there's something here. This can work. And yeah, so the rest is history, as they say. The other crazy thing I decided was to do five shows a week, which at the time, there weren't podcasters, not even in the car world, but I don't think there were many in any podcasting world that were doing that. And every podcaster I spoke to said, you're crazy. You, you can't do that yeah. by yourself. I'm not afraid of work. I mean, yeah, I was part of a startup. I, I'm at, I'll work 24 hours a day if I have to. And I pretty much did the first few years. I mean, I just worked all the time. Yes. My wife, I still, I'm still that way, but, uh, it, it, I grew and learned and it just, you know, it evolved and somehow it all worked. And here we sit today, 2,500 people later, I get to talk to a, a cool guy that produces TV stuff and podcasts named Michael. And like, this is really a cool deal. You know, I've, I've talked to people in almost every country in the world. Uh, we, we spoke before we started this show. My guest yesterday was Yulia from Ukraine, a young woman that wants to be an automotive illustrator artist in the middle of a country that's been invaded by Russia. And she's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's, that's how it all, there's much more to it, but that's the fastest I could walk through it for you. <laughs> no, it, it's a wonderful story. And I, I didn't know it. I, I knew little bits and pieces of it, but I, I didn't know the whole story and it is fascinating and it is so much work and it's a lot that you've accomplished. And part of the joy of what I've been able to do with my life 
is I love when I get introduced to somebody whose work I know. So when I got introduced yeah. to you, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know I know who Mark Green is. I know who <laughs> Garcia is. Well, you have instant friends when you do this. And yes. as I said, my Rolodex has grown to over 7,000. And you know, mm -hmm. young people going, what's a Rolodex? But I know what a Rolodex is. I used to have them sitting on my desk. But I could go to almost any country today, this is a, incredible to me, and call somebody who's been a guest and say, hey, can I come over to your museum, your shop, your right. house, your business? And they would say, absolutely. What time? That's pretty amazing. It is. Right? And that, that to me also, I, I know we're talking about the podcast here, but there's also something about the car world that I've learned in my life, which is the doors are open. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you collect pickup trucks or you don't, you just love pickup trucks. You could be at a right. car show or an event and share with someone who's a Porsche fanatic and just bond over this love of the automobile, even though you both have different tastes and styles and wants and wishes. It's a wonderful community, the car enthusiast community. Would you agree with that? Well, 100%. I had uh, Spike Ferriston, who was a writer for The Night Show and Jerry Seinfeld Show. He's good friends with Jerry Seinfeld. He has a podcast called Spike's Car Radio, I believe. Mm -hmm. I've had him on my show twice. And one of the things he said on my show, which aligns with this, he said he works in the entertainment industry. And he said the car world is so different than any other industry. And I believe it. He said, you can call a car guy who runs a major motion picture studio and say, hey, it's Spike. I need to talk to, you know, Michael Iger about Porsches. And he'll walk out of a meeting and come and talk to you. <laughs> There's no other industry. And I, I've heard this over and over that people will do that because this is an industry of passion. I mean, if you're selling toilets and sinks, Okay, you're selling toilets and sinks. And, and mm. I'll tell you, I even have a good friend who, he's a neurosurgeon. I used to race finished cars with him. And he would come over every Thursday night when I was at Grios and we would do boys night out. And I'd invite a bunch of my friends over and I would give them products we were thinking of selling to use on their cars. Right, I'd buy right. pizzas. And it was a, a test bed for me because I was part of the mar merchandising team, a marketing team and running the company. And, and one night he said something to me. He said, Mark, I wish I could do what you do. And I said, what are you talking about? You're a, a pediatric neurosurgeon. You save babies' lives. And he said, I'm a mechanic. I crack open a skull. I go in. I fix the brain. I close it up, and I'm done. But my passion is my car collection. That's what I want to be playing with. He said, don't get me wrong. I value what I do. I get that. But yeah. it's a job. Yeah, it's kind of specialized, I see you think. <laughs> but he, he calls himself a skullcracker, a mechanic. <laughs> but at the end of the day, his passion is cars, and, I, and it aligns with this. I called him one night to find out where he was, and I called his number, and it routed to this phone, and this woman answers, says, uh, ER. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, wrong number. And she goes, who are you calling? I said, I'm trying to find Dr. Morris. He goes, oh, yeah, he's right here, just a second. And I hear this sound in the background going, <laughs> And I'm like, what the heck is that? He's a dentist office or something? And he comes to the phone. He goes, hey, Mark, how are you doing? Sorry, I'm not there. We had an emergency come in. I'm doing a brain surgery right now. And I said, <laughs> you're doing brain surgery right now? You're cutting open somebody's head and you took my call? And he said, well, yeah, we're talking cars. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So there you go. Yeah. Passion. Right? It's yeah. it's a field of passion. And and that's what brings this is what you and I are friends now. You're part of the Cars Yeah alumni. It brings everybody together. 
mm-hmm. for a common passion, not even a common cause. It's a common passion. And that's why you can go to Car Week and Pebble Beach, which I've done 32 times, and see people you haven't been seen for a year, and there's instant friend. Yes, yes. Hey, how's how's the Aston you bought doing? Have you raced that yet? This, yeah, yeah, it's good. And it could be a billionaire. It could be somebody who's just barely holding on. It could be anybody from any socioeconomic, uh, political background, gender. What That all melts away. Mm-hmm. And it's just talking about cars. And that's, we all get along talking about cars. We may not like a Ford or a Chevy, but we'll still appreciate it, right? Of course, of course. There's always that appreciation. Now, something I'm curious about, because I've had many discussions over the years about this, but one of the things I try to relate to people who are not car people is you could find somebody that lets this is a bad example, but like you could find somebody that's really into collecting stamps or yes. loves, you know, Star Wars memorabilia, those kind of things. And I do find a correlation, a relationship between just a passion for automotives and then other people that share a passion and whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And so if you meet somebody that's not a car, not a car enthusiast at all, and you're trying to explain to them what it means, what would you say? Well, I would ask them, what are you passionate about? What do you love? I'll I'll use a a close example. I have two children. They're grown up. My daughter has two little grandchildren for me now, which is wonderful. And I've tried my whole life to get her into cars. I carried her on my back when she was one, during Pebble Beach car weekend, back when it was a weekend, not a week, I couldn't get her to be, it's just not her thing. She's into fashion and it's just not her thing. So in her case, I always, you know, I got frustrated at some point and she said to me, she goes, dad, I'm just not into cars. I'm sorry. My passion is this. So you have to ask the other person, what is their passion? Be a good listener. And then ask some great questions about why they're intrigued. Like, what is it about fashion that you find so fascinating, so enjoyable? It's the same in the car world. People would ask me. I go to plenty of parties and I end up in the garage with the other car guy, you know, (laughs) and my wife's like, where's Mark? Oh, he's in the garage, (laughs) you know, Uh, because like take golf. I live, you know, in a golf community. I don't Mm -hmm. play golf. Uh, I've got golfers here, but They love golf. Well, what is it about golf you love? Just ask the question and then listen. And then you can understand. And from there, you might learn there might be something about golf that you like. Well, what are the golf carts like? Do they go fast? Are they turbocharged? (laughs) 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 Well, not really. You can't drive that fast on on the links, you know. But I think that's the part of it is to ask the questions. Yes. And, of course, you and I, being car guys, are plenty – passionate about talking about our passion and we'll talk until your eyes roll back in your head about our cars. So yeah, absolutely. And, and on that note, you've had so many guests and I know I already said you've probably forgotten a lot of them, but do you have a few that stand out? Wow. A great question. And it's just like, who are your favorite kids? So we won't call right, them favorites right. yeah. because everybody's unique. Even though my questions are very similar for each guest, sometimes I change them up depending on where mm-hmm. we're going. But this ties into something that this experience has taught me, and my listeners who've listened to me have heard this ad nauseum. You know, we're our best as human beings when we help other people. And when we figure out a way to help other people, 
that really is what brings joy and meaning to life. Some people don't learn that till later. Some people learn it when they're kids, if their parents are donating of time or they maybe they're part of a church or something where they go and they do things for people. So a, a couple of people to stand out. I had a guest on my show and her, she and her husband ran a car show, one of the largest hot rod shows in Southern California. Her husband all of a sudden, surprisingly, was diagnosed with prostate cancer and passed away. Uh, devastating. He wasn't that old. It was just terrible. And what she got out of that experience was, I need to find a way to not let this happen to other people. So she, start, she started talking to doctors, and she brought in experts to the car show, and they would do blood tests for men to see if they have prostate cancer or maybe they're propensity to it or they're on the mm -hmm. edge of it. And when the time I had her on my show, which was very early, they have they have saved hundreds of lives because it's not a test that most guys want to do or think right. about. Now, now they can do blood tests now, but you know, think of a prostate exam for a guy is like, yeah. <laughs> not very fun. So that was something that she learned and took from her car passion and her, her history with her husband to help others. So there's a first example. Another is a guy named Tim Medvets, who my wife found for me on a Discovery Channel show about Tim had climbed Mount Everest. First time he tried, he failed. Second time, he took the first paraplegic to the top of Mount Everest. And he started a program called the Heroes Project. Oh, yeah. And it's a very, it, 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 we, I, hired, I hired him. I brought him on my show as a guest. <laughs> I feel like I am doing interview hiring <laughs> to be a guest because he was known as the chopper builder to the stars. He dated Cher for four oh, years. Wow. Like he, almost, he almost married her. Wow. And I thought this would be interesting because if it rolls on rubber, I love it. Choppers, trucks, cars, whatever. And the show went down this entirely different path of his life. He, he was a hell's angel. I thought, okay, oh, yeah. I have actually had a few, hell, I think three Hells Angels on my show now. You know, kind of a tough group of folks, right? But he had been hit by a truck, almost lost his leg, had to have surgery. He couldn't walk for a long time. It affected his own self-attitude about himself. He had to have nursing care. I mean, for the first time, he wasn't a man anymore. He had to be, you know, cared for, which really messed up his head. He ended up getting addicted to painkillers. This was back when, you know, they were popping pills into people's mouths for pain meds thing. Oh, you won't get addicted to this stuff. Wrong. Right. And, uh, he also, he was at a point where he was kind of thinking my life's not worth living anymore. And he met a guy at a hospital who had come back from Afghanistan, lost both his legs. And the guy said, Tim, you need to figure out a way to help other people. You need to stop having your life be the Tim show and start being a way to give to others. And he came up with the idea of the Heroes Project and started taking paraplegics and, and injured veterans hiking just to show them that they could get out and do something again because mm -hmm. they were all sitting at home, feeling sad for themselves, drinking, taking pills. Life was over. These were like the manly men that went and fought wars, right? Mm -hmm. And he learned the same thing with my previous guest and many, many others that if you find a way to help others, you fulfill your life. And it turned his entire life around. He stopped having problems with depression, stopped the drug use, stopped the alcoholism, stopped being a hell's angel, and helped people go see that their lives were worth living. And that is a repeated message. Another one was uh, Barry McGuire's daughter, Nicole. Mm -hmm. And Nicole, I didn't know this. I knew she had had a marriage that was really 
troublesome. But on my show, she started talking about her marriage and how this guy was very abusive. And she was afraid to tell anybody because her dad was the famous Barry Maguire. Yeah. And she didn't want anyone to know that this guy was so terrible. And she got to the point where she was going to end her life. Now, imagine you're doing a car podcast and someone starts telling you this and you're sitting here going, oh my gosh. I mean, and she said, am I okay talking about this? And I said, yeah, I think you should. Long story short, she, she decided to kill herself. She went and bought alcohol. She went to buy illegal drugs to overdose, left a note for her folks. Well, thank goodness the DEA had a sting operation and she got arrested. Oh, wow. Wow. And during the process of that and jail and then recovering, she just met somebody who said, you need to find a way to help people. You You need to get away from this guy, obviously, which she did. So she started a Concours and the benefits from the Concours helped run away and drug addicted kids in inner city LA to get their life back on course. So I could do, I could tell you 20, 30, 40 other people, same kinds of stories. They all match a theme. And that's become a theme wow. of a of a a talk that I've given at many events where I say, I've learned the secret to life. And at the end of this talk, you're gonna know what the secret is too. People listen to you when you say that. They put their cell phones down. And that is what yeah. I've learned. The most valuable lesson is you've got to find a way. So in a way, I'm happy because my podcast is about inspire my motto, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. It's trademarked is about inspiring people that they can find a way to have a career and a life wrapped around their passion for cars. And they can learn how to do it by listening to people like Michael May and and the other 2,500 guests I've had on my show who figured that out. So there's your secret for the day to a happy life. So if you're unhappy, number one, learn to have grace and, and be grateful, I should say, for what you have. But number two, go out and help somebody else. Stop thinking about yourself. That's beautiful, very powerful, and it goes much deeper than I than expected a car to show. today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it ties in. It ties in with the theme and this idea of an in car enthusiast, and which t- connects to passion and following passions and sharing passion. And, and I could not have asked for a better set of stories and message. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> you you got uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to sound like we're ending right away. There are a few other things I wanted to talk Good. to you about. For one, the future of automotives. You and I discussed it a little bit in the past, but it, it's an interesting world. You know, everything's gone more computerized and tech oriented. How? What do you think the future of automotive enthusiasts are? Do you think people will be collecting self-driving cars and things like that? I believe the future's bright in that area. And we've heard a lot of naysayers say, oh, young kids don't care about cars and they're not dragging drive, getting their driver's license the day they turn 16. I was at the DMV at 7 a.m. on my 16th birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, because I'm like, I'm ready. Now, I was lucky because my neighbor up the street was a general manager at City Chevrolet and he gave me a brand new Camaro to take my driving test in. So oh, that's cool awesome. that? Yeah. yeah. But I believe that... The future is bright for that because now, now there may not be as many because us baby boomers, unlike you, you're a millennial, I'm guessing. I think I'm on the the beginning of the millennial. I'm on the edge. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm an old boomer as my kids remind me all the time, but there were a lot of boomers. I mean, this demographic, my demographic was huge. And so you had a lot of people 
during the course that I was at Grio's Garage that were hitting their prime mm-hmm. in business, in life, money, and they could spend money on their cars. Perfect for what we were doing. But I do see and I hear older and over, older, old, older and older. I am getting older and older, <laughs> over and over again. You think I know how to speak, right? I'm a podcaster, for goodness sake. <laughs> that there is a large group of young people that have interest in cars. And it may not be the cars that I'm interested in. We have Radwood now. We have the, the Japanese market that's come on strong because of this group of people. My 2005 BMW M3, which I bought new 19 years ago, is now become a collectible for yes. millennials. Yeah. It's now worth what I paid what I paid for it new. Shocking! <laughs> I would have never thought for a mass-produced car. But again, those kids. When I bought my car, I was in you know earning good money. I could buy a brand new BMW M3, and the kids had those posters on their walls. Like I had posters on my wall in the 60s of the Lamborghini Miura and the Porsche yeah. Turbo when it came out and you know these other cars that were Ferraris. So, yes, I think the the market is good. What challenges will be held are of course the technology side, but again, you see even people collecting cars that don't care about that because they can go in and open a laptop and they can reconfigure the engine right there. My my right. nephew works for Tesla. He fixes cars from his house via <laughs> You know, the internet, people call my, my Tesla is doing this, plug it in. Oh, I see the problem. Okay. It's fixed. Thank you. Wow. Wow. So it's just the technology changes, the platform changes. I believe, especially in the United States, the automobile will always remain as a symbol of freedom Mm -hmm. for us, no matter what the governments try to do to stop that to keep us from driving or put us in mass transit or whatever they want to try to do to us. I don't think you can break that spirit, especially in this country, but I'm learning that spirit exists all over the world. Mm-hmm. You, you may not think that it does, but you go to New Zealand, Australia, United Kingdom, all throughout Europe, and even my guest in Ukraine, you kind of go, well, how many car enthusiasts are there in Ukraine? There are a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these countries look to our country as that bastion of freedom and the idea that you can get in a car and drive for days and go anywhere. No borders, no restrictions. You can just go see what you want to see. And there's so much to see in this country alone, much less the rest of the world. I have no concerns about it. Now, there might be brass era cars that are harder to find buyers for. Right, okay, right. well, they, they'll just get cheaper. It's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see what cars are selling for right now at auctions, and I just go, where's all this money coming from? Yeah, yeah. But again, there's money, go, capital goes where capital grows. So when you have enough money to buy toys, okay, maybe it's not good to have it in the market right now. I'll put it in a car and park it in my garage. At least I can look at it and touch it and drive it. Mm-hmm. And it could be worth something in the future. So- I have great faith that this passion that you and I share and others listening to the show, I don't need to worry about that. Well, good. So you recently made an announcement about the future of Cars Yeah. Do you want to discuss your plans moving forward? I appreciate that. I do. So coming up on 10 years here, I made a decision late last year that I would like to hand the keys over to Cars Yeah to somebody else. I sent out just to my email list. 
If you go to my website and click on the free book button, I'll send you a cool little ebook I created called Filler Up, and you'll be on my email list. And, and I send a blog out, a very short blog out every Tuesday, and then an email of a recap of the shows. And I announced back on December 5th that I was ready to hand the keys over to somebody else. And I had no idea what would happen because I dare you to go out and find a podcast has been sold. Especially because podcasts have a personality attached. Yes. Although I set my business up at the beginning as something that somebody could acquire. It's not Mark Green's podcast. Mm -hmm. It's not Green's Garage. It's Cars Yeah. And it's about my guests. It's not about me. Now, that has been a barrier, but I got more response from that blog than I could have dreamed. And so the last few months, I've spent time talking to a lot of people, vetting people, discussing the financial side. Haven't come to agreement yet. I did get a couple offers, but they didn't, they weren't what I wanted and they tied me too much to the show for too long because I'm Mm -hmm. ready to hand you the keys and let you drive my car away. And (laughs) not to say there won't be a transition. So I just did it again. Uh, I'm not sure when this show will go up at the week of February, oh, February 20th. I, I sent another blog out. And now I've got another couple dozen people that I've been talking to. Uh, just this morning, I spoke to two people that are, I think, very viable options to end up purchasing the podcast. And I was kind of shocked at who they were. I've even had big businesses reach out and say, you know, we'd like to use this as a marketing tool. I never right. thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. I talked to somebody yesterday at a major university that was interested in tying it into their university courses. I never thought about that. So it's opening up some interesting doors. I've never sold a business before, so this is a little bit of a unique venture. But yes, um, I am ready to do that. I want to take time to spend more time with my grandchildren. Never been a grandpa before. This is kind of a cool deal. Uh, More time on me. There's some projects Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to work on, but this is a full-time job for me. But I am going to make a major change, and that's shifting to from I did five shows a week until last year, then four shows a week. I'm going to move to one show a week like normal sane podcasters do. (laughs) Uh, Now, I could do that in my sleep probably at this point. I mean, I I think of one a week. Oh, my gosh. That's so easy. But that's what I'm in the middle of. So I I just tell people if somebody out there is listening interested, I'm easy to find, marketcarsyeah.com. Reach out to me. We can talk about it. I want, though, to make sure – I mean, I want to earn something from this venture. It's Mm -hmm. worth – some money to monetize what I've built. But almost more importantly to me is it doesn't die. Right. I I look at this as a car. I want somebody to take it and enjoy it and not park it in their garage collection and shut the door. It, It has legs. Somebody smarter than me can take it and expand on it. Somebody with more capital perhaps can do more with it. Mm-hmm. I did do a venture called Cars yeah TV for one year, and you can find them on my YouTube page. Um, that was a weird deal, and it got shut down because of COVID. But this is something I really believe somebody can take and move, even if they just do the same thing I've been doing, and they can generate some income from it and have fun and continue it. I would, I'd be happy the day I'm laying in my, my about to go in my grave and somebody else decades from now, let's hope I live that long, <laughs> Cars yeah, is still existing in some way, shape, and form. It, it has, I think it has long legs. So I appreciate you asking me that and giving me the oh, opportunity I, to share that. 
Absolutely. And I, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. I think you're you're a wonderful guest. And like I thank said, you, you I, I think this discussion, which I, I think about a lot, and I'm sure I'll have it more within this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was a, a great way to start that off and to start thinking about car enthusiasts and what that may yes. mean. So I really appreciate your time, your insight and your expertise on the topic. Well, you're welcome. And again, for you listeners that maybe haven't heard of Cars, yeah, easy to find. Uh, I have a website. All the guests are there. You can find me on every mobile podcast app. I think I'm on about 80 of them now. Uh, Click on the free book button. I'll send you my filler up book. Uh, Follow me on all the uh, Instagram and X and all the other social media things. Um, And reach out to me if you think you might make a great guest. I'm always looking for inspiring automotive enthusiasts. And and Michael, thank you for allowing me to uh, be a guest on your show. You're doing an awesome job with this, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. And I will provide some links uh, in the show notes for all of Mark's uh, things as well. I lo- you list out social media like I do, which is like uh, the, the social media things. Find, find us on there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, nowadays they're everywhere. So it's the only yeah. thing I don't do is TikTok. I'm just not a fan of that platform, mm-hmm. but I do all the rest. Even even the obscure ones, MeWe and Getter and, you know, I'm, I'm still old-fashioned Facebook, do a lot of stuff on yeah. that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, as I always say, until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Fuel for the Future is presented by State Farm Insurance and driven by America's Automotive Trust. Enjoy the show? Click that subscribe button and be sure to visit americasautomotivetrust.org to learn more about securing America's automotive heritage.